Good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome, everyone. You know, um, before I get started, I have to just share this little story. Yesterday, I was uh, working on getting ready for this morning, and, and I w- went out and had uh, a little conversation with my son, Cameron. He happened to be home, and, and I said, you know, he's asking me what I was doing. So I was getting ready for this morning, and uh, he said to me, uh, well, I first said, I said, Cameron, you know, I, can, I probably could use some help. Do you have something kind of funny or do you have, you know, a way to get started? And, you know, he's like, Dad, you're not, you're not seriously going to use some pastoral cliche that, that, you know, communicates all these meaningless information. No, that's not what I was going to do. You know, I said, Cameron, what, what do you mean by that? He said, well, you're not going to give some lame shout out to Grundy Center or to Waverly, you know, or... Or you're not going to, you know, have, have them greet each other, whatever it is, or wave. And I said, no, no. He said, and you're, probably, you're not, not going to talk about football, that we can you know, college football is back. And you, you can't talk about, you know, how hard it was to watch Iowa play offense yesterday. Because, you know, if you just talk about Iowa, you're already going to diminish the diminished, uh, you know, crowd base of Iowa State and you and I, right? It's like, uh, you can't do that. You can't talk about your hometown football team, Grundy Center, because they're 2-0, and you know, and cheer them. And because you're going to just disappoint all the Dyke fans, right? You can't do that. And so, you know, you, you, then you're missing out on Waverly and Cedar Falls, so you can't do that. You're just missing all the, the people in the room. And I said, and you certainly can't talk about your kids who surprised you and came home for the weekend, you know, and drove from Michigan because that's just lame, Dad. It's a lame attempt to identify with your audience in some way. I said, okay, just consider it not done. None of that happened right now. I do want to say hi to Waverly and to Grundy Center, however. Anyway. So good to be here. Well, this is our third week of our Vision Sundays, and uh, we are talking about what we believe God is calling us to be as a church and to move into over this course of this next year. And uh, that's really what these Vision Sundays are about, is an opportunity to kind of think and, and remember, and where is God at work, and what do we want to become? And, and as I've reflected on these last few weeks, it seems it's not so much about what we are going to do or what we want to do, it's more about who we want to be as a people, the kind of people that we want to become. You know, Jeff, uh, two weeks ago, talked about that we want to be people of faith who express that in love towards each other and towards the world. In fact, I would say the world is desperate for some leadership of how we are to relate to one another, and can we be people of faith who express that faith in love. That's huge. Then last week, Dave, of course, talked about choosing joy, that we want to be people who choose joy for all that Jesus has done for us. He's laid out eternity in front of us. And so we want to be the people who who are living this, this life, this short time on earth that God has given us in a way that we would choose joy. And so this morning, I want to talk a little bit about uh, that idea of becoming something. And, and here's what I'm, I'm going to say. It's going to sound kind of weird, but we, I want us to think about becoming people who are PCSP people. PCSP people. <laughs> it's not a drug, I promise you. Okay? 
If we're having communion later, then you might want to worry. But no, it's the idea of we would live out of overflow. That we would live in such a way that we would live out of connection with Jesus and we would live out of overflow. So PCSP is pitcher, cup, saucer, plate. Okay? Pitcher, cup, saucer, plate. And what is that? It's simply an image or an idea. In fact, I've had this set. My wife bought me this set probably 20 years ago. And it's been sitting in my, my window of my office in my house. And it's just a reminder of the kind of life that I want to live. The kind of life that I think Jesus is calling us to live together. And that image is found in John chapter 15. And so I want to just read from there just a little bit, and then I'll explain what I mean by pitcher cup, saucer, plate. Pitcher cup, saucer, plate. Jesus begins in, in chapter 15. Let me just give a little context to what Jesus is doing. So this is, this is a favorite passage of mine. It's a, it's a go-to passage of mine. It's a reminder that Jesus is with his disciples, and things are about to get really chaotic in fact, it's his last time before he's going to be arrested, then crucified, and then ultimately set in the grave and rise again from the dead. But he's with his disciples, and, and this whole section begins in chapter 13 with, with Jesus getting up and grabbing a towel and a basin and washing his disciples' feet. So that's what this towel is about, is a reminder. That, that's where we begin. It's like Jesus begins by washing his disciples' feet. And he says, I want you to do this for each other. I want you to have faith in me and express it in love by willing to be a servant. And then by chapter 15, I think he lays out a pattern of priorities of how to live in relationship with him. He says, I am the true vine and my father is a gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes. I'm going to jump to verse 5, and it says there, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, it's interesting to me, in these first 11 verses of this chapter, Jesus used the word, it wasn't actually in English in the time, but he uses the word remain a lot. In fact, probably at least 11 times. It's this idea of remaining in me, abide in me, take up residence in me. Things about to just go pot in front of you. Things are going to get chaotic. Things are going to go crazy. I want you to remain in me. In fact, I think he's inviting us into something that is crazy. He's like saying this, I want you to have the kind of relationship that I have with my Father. I'm inviting you into that kind of relationship with me. And so, this idea of this picture is really Jesus and, and God and his grace and his mercy and his freedom and all of the things that, that we would expect when we are in relationship with Jesus, that, that we come and we experience. And this cup really is my life. Right? 
And so he's painting this picture that if I'm living in this kind of relationship, I am going to become for you a stream of living water. I'm going to fill your life with good things. I'm going to help you understand what joy is. I'm going to understand, like, you're going to trust me even more and to be able to live in faith and express that in love. That's what he says. And then he goes on in verse 12, he makes this statement. He goes on and say this, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. So Jesus is saying, remain, abide, put yourself in a position to receive, pitch a tent right here. I want to be with you. I want you to be with me. Remain in me. And then he goes on and he says, and I think these are sequential in some ways, that that you do one thing and it leads to the next thing, right? I think that's the flow of this chapter. If you read it carefully, he's saying, this kind of relationship that I have with the Father, you can have with me. And if you're in me, if you're remaining in me, guess what? It's going to spill out over into the relationships that you have with each other. And I want you to learn how to love each other. So as I go from this relationship with Jesus, it sort of spills out into the relationship of the lives that I'm influencing, the people that I'm influencing and touching. I want you to learn how to love them first. Now, I would say as a young mom, you know, and a young parent, I remember those days in which my wife would call the, the, the hours from after school until supper time. She used to call that piranha time. Anybody recognize, you know, understand what that's like? Amen. Yeah. There's something amazingly distracting about that, right? These kids are needy. And it sort of kind of continues, as you know, as my conversation with Cameron reveals, Right? But there's something about it that I need Jesus for piranha hour. It's not happy hour, friends. It's piranha hour. And so if I can have Jesus in those moments and this, this sort of choosing joy, receiving his grace, understanding his love, and then expressing that love in, first of all, my family, with my spouse, with my kids, with the people that are closest to me. I want to experience that. I want to know what that, that overflow life is like. I want to learn how to love the people closest to me. Well, I need to remain in Jesus. And then, then Jesus goes on in the same chapter, and he's talking about the world. And he's inviting them, you know, look, things are going to get chaotic They're going to be hard. In fact, he says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Guess what? I'm inviting you to to follow me into the world, into the places you live and you work and you play. And he goes on at the end of this chapter, he says this, when the advocate comes, who's the advocate? It's his presence, his spirit says, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, 
the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. In other words, I want you to be in, in this kind of relationship so much so that it begins to spill out, and then it ultimately, I'm going to run out of water. Anyway, the idea you get, right? it goes onto the plate, to the very things that I'm doing, to the activities that I'm engaged in, to the life that I'm living out in the world. And it begins to impact how I do my job, why I'm doing it for the glory of God, right? How I do my job affects my witness, who I'm bearing witness to. Now, it's interesting to me that so much in, the, in our sort of Christian culture, even in our churches, we often measure our identity by our plates, don't we? We talk about what we, we're doing. We talk about how full our plate is. We talk about how busy we are. We talk about our work. We talk about things like that. Maybe we need to change the conversation and say, how are you remaining in Jesus? How are you living a life of overflow? What are you doing to maintain this connection so that you can experience his grace and his goodness and his joy and begin to trust him more and more so that you can follow him into your relationships and you can follow him into your places of work that you can love there and you can be a blessing to this broken world. You know, one of the things that, that I think that becomes the key then for all of us is this. How am I cultivating my friendship with Jesus? If I'm going to live a life of overflow, if I'm going to live this kind of life where I'm choosing joy and I'm expressing love, how am I cultivating my friendship with Jesus? Am I creating time and space for him in my life? That's really the key, isn't it? It's so important. You know, I think about what we're choosing to do, what we are trying to do, right? We want to help next generations encounter and follow Jesus to bless a broken world. So what do we do? We, do, we create environments where there can be encounters, we do that on Wednesdays for a student ministry. We do that Thursdays, you know, basic comes. We do that Sunday mornings, and we do it really well. We have some extremely talented staff and volunteers. We have incredible production. We have all these things. We have this encounter with Jesus. So I want you to think just for a moment, when was the first time you encountered Jesus and you sensed his presence in your life? When I think about that, I'll, I'll never forget this moment. God often uses people, correct? So it was this moment where I was actually listening to a videotape of Tony Campolo. And he was talking about how you can make a difference. And I was so overwhelmed by that. It was like emotionally I was just flooded. I couldn't believe it. And then it was this influence of, of a Sunday school teacher and these friends and going on a mission trip. And I'm... I'm, I'm 
betting, friends, that God used someone or something in your life, this sort of, sort of com- combination of people and experiences. Maybe it was an altar call at a church, a service, or maybe it was at camp, church camp. Maybe it was on caravan. I don't know. Maybe it was on a mission trip. Maybe it was a conversation you had with a friend in the middle of the night, but you have had a, an encounter with Jesus. I just talked to a guy this week who he passed away, or it was a couple of weeks ago. He, his first encounter with Jesus was reading a book by Hal Lindsey about the return of Jesus. I'm like, what? But it brought him to him. And I think about those moments. We want to create these moments. And no matter what that encounter looked like, here's the thing. I think the invitation is still the same. Come to me. I just talked with somebody who comes in to worship and she just gets totally emotionally wrecked every time we start singing. Well, guess what? You know what that is? The advocate, the spirit of Jesus whispering in her ear saying, I'm so glad you're here. Now come to me. Come to me and remain in me. That's the invitation of Jesus. And then we say, we want to help you follow me. Follow me into those places where you're living your life with your family, your friends, the people. And then go out into the world and bless this broken world. So what are some of the hindrances, friends? What are some of the hindrances to to staying connected to Jesus? Let's just talk about that for a little bit because I think Jesus addresses it. And there's at least, there's hundreds of them, but let me just talk about a couple of them. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Now, that's kind of an intimidating verse in some ways. But what I think he's saying is that there's a true vine, and there are false vines. I was sitting in a circle with a couple of friends. We were talking about this very passage, and one of my friends, he said, you know, the, the problem sometimes is when we get out of connection or out of relationship with Jesus, when we're not sort of cultivating our friendship, He said, one of the things is, he said, it's like we're painting leaves. We're just painting leaves. It's not real. It's fake. It's like I'm doing the things of activity, the religious activity, but there's no power in it because it's devoid of relationship. Or my other friend, he said, yeah, you know, when I was in college, I had this weird job. I said, I got to be a gardener. I'd never been a gardener before, but a gardener at this large estate. And my job was, they had this huge rose garden. For those of you who raise roses, you know that one of the things that a gardener must do is to prune. And one of the things that he said was tricky for him is that these these roses would grow suckers. (laughs) Right? He said they looked really, really good, but they never bore any blooms. They weren't the real deal. 
And I wonder if one of the things that we can get caught up in, and sometimes, is that we are chasing suckers rather than the real deal. Now, Henry Nouwen said those suckers look a lot of different ways, but the big three, he said, were money, sex, and power. Money, sex, and power. We somehow think that those things are going to bring life to us when they're really just suckers. You know, for me, I would say it could even be religious activity. Jesus saying, I am the true vine. This is the last of his I am statements in the book of John. He's saying, I am the vine. Now, the Old Testament imagery of the vine was this, that that the vine represented Israel and all the religious activity that was combined in that. He's saying, look, now the center of God's plan is me. It's no longer Israel and the religious activity and system around it. It is me and those who are connected to me. Sometimes even religious activity can become a sucker not the true vine. I'll give you a great example. I, I, was, I'm, I love church planting. I felt called to be a church planter. But I will say this. I gave myself to that cause so much so that I started chasing the expectations and, and goals that were centered around that, failing to stay connected to Jesus. Those became my pursuit those goals became my pursuit. And then I would say things like, you know, I'm doing this for you, God, and so I have all these expectations. So would you come and bless me and, and bless me here? Rather than me pursuing Jesus and looking for ways that he was already at work and trusting him with the results. We can give ourselves into these suckers, if you will. We need to pay attention. If we're going to be people of overflow, we want to be connected to Jesus. Pursue him. The other thing I would say that we can do really quickly is this. We can burn up and be burned out. This is what Jesus says in verse 6. Or actually in, in verse for he says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No, ban- no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. But then he says this in verse 6, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. And withers. Here's the deal. Burnout and depletion is a very real thing. And it keeps us from experiencing the goodness and grace of God. We can be so distracted, so busy, that we forget our most important priority in life. The World Health Organization says this, burnout is a syndrome resulting from workplace stress that has not been successfully managed. It's characterized by three dimensions, feelings of energy depletion or exhaustion, Increased mental distance from one's job or feelings of negativism or cynicism related to one's job and reduced professional efficacy. 
In 2021, according to the APA, the Association of, of Psychological, uh, Psychological Association, American Psychological Association said this, 79% of employees, this is a year ago, had experienced work-related stress. Nearly three in five employees reported negative impacts of work-related stress, including lack of interest, motivation, or energy. They reported emotional exhaustion, and an astounding 44% reported physical fatigue, a 38% increase since 2019. To feel sort of depleted and burned out. Now, this is a really nice cup. You know, my wife got this for me. This is not my life. My, my life looks like a beaten up, chipped up, cracked, you know, piece of junk, really, that can barely hold water. And so when, when I'm not connected to the vine, when I'm not in a place where I'm receiving, it will dry up really fast. When I'm not sort of taking time to be with Jesus and hear from him and say, come to me. I'm going to feel depleted. Maybe you're feeling depleted. So what can we do to help you stay connected to Jesus? That's really the question, isn't it? Well, we talk about, we have these different strategies. We talk about worship. We talk about engaging the Bible. Those are really important. We talk about belonging in community. We talk about investing in others. I would say those first two are critical. There's sort of this priority one, developing a worship lifestyle. Engaging the Bible, creating space for God, learning to listen to Him. What am I doing to do that? I want to introduce you to Mark and Shonda Kuyper. Now, some of you know Mark and Shonda. Mark and Shonda, you'll actually know Mark by his work. He's actually done some really iconic sort of landscapes throughout the Cedar Valley. I mean, you got the River Loop, the amphitheater there. You've got Lincoln Park, you've got the River Plaza, you've got this, the, the new Lost Island scapes. He's a, he's a landscape architect, so he's known by this. I mean, he's, he's a leader in his field. He's amazing. Now, Shonda, you, you may not know Shonda, but Shonda is also equally amazing. She is a professor, a full professor of statistics at Grinnell College. So this is a, a talented couple. You know what their passion is? Helping people like you and me stay connected to Jesus. For the last 10 years, probably, or maybe even more, I don't know. For the last 10 years, they've been meeting with individuals and doing this thing they call guided prayer. You know what guided prayer is? It's, it's for those who are disconnected from Jesus that want to hear his voice again. That want to come to Jesus and say, I need help. I'm stuck. There's a problem. I want to experience overflow in my life. I want to experience freedom and joy. You might want to connect with them. You might want to know. Now, we have all kinds of small groups that are also starting up at this time to help you connect with Jesus and live a life of overflow. Let me tell you about something that I've experienced in the last three or four years. 
I've been a part of this experience with the Leadership Institute. I've also joined in with a friend who was a part of that. His name is David Zaylor. He has a ministry called Operation Integrity. We've been going through the 12 steps for the last almost three years together. Why? Because so many people get stuck chasing after suckers, looking for life where there is no life. Or people who are stuck and depleted and burned out. And the 12 steps became sort of a trellis, a practice of learning how to reconnect with Jesus. And it's been really powerful. So this summer, we partnered with Leadership Institute and with Operation Integrity, and I helped write a curriculum that, that will help people listen to the Scriptures and hear God's voice, but also use the 12 steps to reconnect to Jesus. Now, if you want to help us beta test that, I'm inviting you. Just get a hold of me. You can actually go to our webpage and look under Grundy Groups, Grundy County Groups. I would love to talk to you about that. But it is a way of reconnecting with Jesus. We're calling it the journey of recovery, the fusion of the 12 steps. So why is living out of overflow so important, friends? Why is that so important? Because I think what we're trying to do as a church, which is found in our missional marks, (laughs) you can put those up there, Johnny. Guess what? Not a single person in this room can do these things. This is a work of God. These things are something that only God can do. And so he uses people who are partnering with him, who are living out of overflow in their personal lives, in the lives of the people around them, and into their their lives or in the world. We need God. We need God's help. We cannot do this on our own. No matter how great our spaces are, no matter how great our staff and our people are, it's God using people, partnering with him and coming to Jesus. So that's my invitation to you. Let's pray together. You know, Lord, we come today, and many of us have experienced depletion or disconnection, or we know what it means to sort of chase those things that are false vines. God, help us to hear your voice again, to hear that simple invitation that says, come to me, come to me, all who are weary. Come to me, all who are heavy laden. Come to me and experience my rest. God, I I pray that you would use Orchard Hill to be a safe place for people to reconnect with you. And I ask that you would somehow work with us and through us that we might experience your goodness and your grace. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.